everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of We Live in a Film Society, the show about movies and the meaning we give them. In this episode, we talk to Miss Christina Costantini, the co-director of Mucho Mucho Amor. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay, I'm going to do a little intro so that people know what's going on. And then we can just get started. Yay! And just kind of explain how we met. Because basically, Christina, we asked to talk to you and your co-director, Kareem. And we ended up only talking to him, which was great. But then I ran into you (laughs) at a coffee shop that I work at like once a month or once every (laughs) other week. And you ordered something. And I was like, wait, Christina. Cristina Costantini. <laughs> I know you. Not know you, know you, but and then we had a nice talk. It's cosmic. It's Walter. It really is. Sometimes, you know, I'm not a great believer in all of these things, but on this project, sometimes it's like, what are the chances? What are the chances that this would happen? And it was the one day you were working at the coffee shop, and you wow. recognize like all these. A lot on this project has been crazy. I'm sure Kareem told you some of them, but. A lot of weird coincidences. Yeah, <laughs> it was cosmic. I remember when you told me this story and I was just like, wait, you what? And then she what? In the where? And all of a sudden, like it was so crazy. crazy. It is I really love crazy. That. Love that. That's such a great <laughs> story. It was meant to be. Meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. Um, you know, just uh, luckily keeping busy, which I think is for me, keeps me grounded in these weird times. I like productivity feels very, very good to me. And I like keeping active and doing stuff. So I'm, I'm working on some projects and that makes me happy. And doing stuff like this, like talking to you guys about that movie, this stuff keeps me grounded. So I'm so happy to be here. How about you? How are you guys doing? We're doing good. This podcast has been keeping us busy. I agree. I think being productive and doing fun, creative things like this definitely builds a structure in a very chaotic and random time that we're living in. So yeah, very, very excited to get the opportunity to talk to you, Christina. Thanks for having me. (laughs) thank you Cristina Costantini that's such a cool name thank you yeah you know it's Italian Argentinian it's Cristina Maria Costantini which is like Christ Mary and then the first Catholic king and my parents (laughs) didn't even baptize me they gave me the most Catholic name you could imagine and they baptized my two older brothers and they're like yeah two out of three good enough I think they like just kind of gave up on the whole (laughs) she'll be fine she'll get in she'll be good <laughs> and then you made this movie and they're like she's in, she's in. <laughs> and now she's in yeah, it's yeah. Official. walter can get me in the gates <laughs> so is your family from argentina yeah my, my dad is my dad's family and then uh, my mom is from wisconsin so i'm a mix of about a trillion different things oh cool did you grow up with watching Walter Mercado? Yeah, exactly. My, my grandma Yolanda watched me a lot. And some of my most fond memories are in there. They had like an upholstery factory on the first floor. And then they lived on the second floor. And some of my most nostalgic childhood memories are in their house and with my grandma. Learning how to cook with her and watching TV. And, you know, I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So my connection to that side of my family and to that culture was 
very much through the television, like Sabah Gigante and all these weird shows. And Walter, Walter was a huge part of it. And I, as a kid, was just mystified by him. He looked so radiant and so beautiful and so amazing. And I'd never seen anything like him before. And so for me, it was like Big Bird uh, or something, you know, it was just like, look at this. All the feathers. Look at this. Yeah, it was like, for me, Mr. Rogers plus Big Bird in some fabulous combination. And then my grandmother loved him so much and cared so much about what he had to say and would hang on every word. And I remember the importance of being quiet when Walter came on TV. And so as an adult, you know, I started thinking back to my first interaction with the idea of gender queer or somebody who was not on the gender binary. And my first introduction to astrology, things that are very much in conversations nowadays and very much in with my generation. And I was like, well, Walter was doing that before any of us were, before mainstream culture was talking about that. And I felt so profoundly lucky to have grown up with Walter and to know Walter as a kid. And I just had this deep sense of wanting to share him. And so I started looking to see if he was still alive, if if he was able to be contacted, if there was a way he might be still into filming or, or doing something. And in that process, I found Kareem and Alex. And I, he probably told you this story too. But basically, I was working on a film called Science Fair, and I was just finishing it. And our editor of Science Fair actually brought up to me Walter. He's a white guy, doesn't speak Spanish, but he he would flip through and just was mesmerized by Walter. And so he would watch, not understanding a single word, he would watch <laughs> a lot. And he was like, weird question, but do you know who Walter Mercado is? And I was like, of course I know. So that that set me on this journey. I called Alex, who through a mutual friend, I learned he was also a fan. And Alex said, you know, this is the weirdest thing. This is so strange. But in half an hour, I have a call with another director who wants to make a movie about Walter, who may have made contact with the family. Would you guys be interested in talking to each other? And so it was kind of like a fabulous arranged marriage. On that first phone call, we all agreed that we were going to set out and do this thing. And for anyone who's made films, it's very, very strange to agree to co-direct in one phone call. I was a fan of Kareem's work. I could tell he had a sense of humor. I liked him a lot. And I was like, you know what? Walter brought us all together. Our love for Walter brought us all together. Although we have different skill sets and have very different backgrounds, we had the same kind of taste and idea of what the film could be. And so we were like, let's do it. Let's see how it goes. And that's the story of how it all came to be. Had you co-directed anything before? Yeah, so I have co-directed a few films with a guy named Darren Foster, who is also a very good friend of mine. And we did a a movie called Science Fair that premiered at Sundance in 2018. And that was such a fun experience. I love Darren. I'm a partner at his company with his wife, Mariana, who's like my icon and Jeff Plunkett and Alex Simmons. And so I'm a very collaborative worker. There are some people who direct who are like, this is how it's going to be. And it's always going to be like this. And this is definitely the best way to do it. I'm very much like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Let's all talk about it. And then then we'll vote sometimes. Sometimes I believe in democracy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's kind of rare to find people that you, I mean, first of all, the whole meeting with Kareem, that's such a beautiful coincidence and yeah. so great that that worked out so well but I feel like it's hard sometimes to find people that you can collaborate with on such a 
creative level and technically just be on the same page with everything so that's really great also I really want to watch science fair (laughs) that's got to be next on our list I have a doc night every Wednesday where we watch a new documentary oh cool yeah science fair it's on Disney plus it is about nerdy teenagers who are trying to win the international high school science fair it sounds like it could be very dry but it's um comedy kind of it's about these kids with a lot of grit and a lot of determination and it's a very hopeful world it's majority female majority non-white these kids are gonna save us but they're also still (laughs) very hormonal and it's a very cute world it honestly sounds like the exact movie that we need right now (laughs) yeah it is definitely like an antidote to the times another film i would highly recommend it's on netflix called speed cubers which is kind of in the same vein about young people who have the exact opposite spirit of maybe the leaders of our world right now it's a, oh. it's a competition movie but it's more it's not like a square competition there's a lot there i okay. just highly recommend it rubik's cube i'm assuming yeah exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> on its face it's a rubik's cube competition doc but it's really about a lot of other more important issues all right it's 40 minutes i cried like three times <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh my gosh. it's really cute yeah good i need that also it seems like you just only make documentaries about good and positive things well i didn't make speed cubers that was a woman named sue kim but i used to be an investigative journalist documentary filmmaker and so for like seven years was only doing stories about prisons detention centers sex trafficking opiate epidemic and i think i had an 180 and especially when trump got elected i was like oof I need to take a step back and do something that feels therapeutic to me. But I also think the audience needs to know that there's hope that things aren't always how they've been. There are good people in the world who are trying to fix things. And, you know, I I just I felt like I needed it. And so other people might need it, too. Amen. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Did you study journalism? How was your start with that? Yeah, you know, there was really no money for graduate school. So I just basically started on the job. And right after college, I got a job as an associate editor at the Huffington Post, editing blog posts about Latino issues called Latino Voices. And so I worked my way up from there. Eventually, they let me report. And then from there, I went to Univision and to ABC News. As they were about to start this thing called Fusion, at first, I was a reporter, a features writer, and a correspondent. And that was fun. And then I was like, I want to learn how to make TV. And so then they put me on their investigative unit. And that's how I learned to tell stories. I was doing investigative documentary work. And had never picked up a camera, had never really made a visual story before. But I think that that really taught me, you know, if you can make really sad, serious stuff compelling, if you can give it a narrative and use all of these kind of traditional storytelling techniques, withholding information, building suspense, all of these things that you use in real movies, then you can learn how to tell a, a happier, funnier story more easily. So I think it was really good training trying to tell uh, sad, serious stories in a way that could make people care. And then from there, I was burnt out, as I said, from the sad, serious stuff. So I went to my bosses and I was like, hey, what if I made a feature film about the science fair? 
I think every other boss in the world would be like, no, you're an investigative journalist yeah. and we're a TV network. I was like, this is the craziest thing, but what if they say yes? And they said yes. Wow. So what network were you at at the time? I was at Fusion. And at that okay. time in Fusion's history, they were trying a whole bunch of crazy stuff. They were just doing wild stuff. And so I was watching all these other mostly dudes go and ask the CEO and their bosses, like, can we do crazy stuff? And then they would say yes. And I was like, well, if those dudes get to do it, why can't I get to do it? And so I went and asked for the craziest thing I could think of, which was let me make a whole movie. And I had never made a feature. And to their credit, they were like, yeah, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I think it far exceeded what they thought the film was going to do. Yes, Queen Christina, <laughs> ask for that opportunity. Yeah. In my mind, failure is not that scary because it's already weird that I'm in these spaces. Being a Latina woman who is, I w at the time I was like 26, I was like, if they tell me no, so then I won't do that. But <laughs> if I don't try and I don't get to do it, then I'll be sad. I always think you've got to like dream really big, be prepared for failure. And then the one out of 10 times that things pop off, you have to be prepared to work super hard and really get your hands dirty. And yeah, it was the one out of 10 times that it worked out. And I'm so glad it did because it's allowing me to continue making more movies and yeah. ask for even crazier things. Wow. So you've always been pretty ambitious. <laughs> You know, I think so. I think I do have this imposter syndrome that many women have too, which is like half of my brain is like, you know, there's people who've won more awards or who have more acclaim who might be the person to do it. But I think I try to, before I go into meetings or something like that, I try to get myself in this character that approximates my very confident Argentinian father. <laughs> he's like this big, but he's like, <laughs> but he like really believes that he deserves to be in spaces and that he's allowed to take up room. And so I try, I'm like, what would Mario do? And that actually helps me <laughs> to like get oh into God. the little Mario mental space. I need a Mario. This is very yeah. therapeutic <laughs> because Hannah and I also work in film production, have been in LA for about seven years yeah. we're constantly in these rooms and constantly in these productions where we're like um can i can i actually have a, a little of <laughs> this and it, it's scary it can be scary but then at the same time you're like surrounded by these idiots who are getting paid more <laughs> and getting more opportunity yeah you know, not all yeah. idiots but mostly many <laughs> but there are some idiots out there no for real I mean I think we all should have a little Argentinian man in our brains that we can turn on I mean you can't lead your life like that because then you're a monster but, yeah. <laughs> but if you can turn on your little Argentinian man when you need it I think it's really helpful yeah get into character oh my gosh if I take nothing else from this conversation <laughs> I will always have a little Argentinian man with me now always Next on the podcast, we will have Christina's father. Oh my and... god! Don't ask because he will be here, like in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I'm from. They've done a lot of segments on the movie on local news, like ABC, NBC, <sighs> CBS, Telemundo, Univision, and my dad is in all of them. Like, <laughs> he's just putting up his elbows and getting to the front of the line and telling his story about his daughter. Yes, he's just like one of the proudest people alive and it's really beautiful. But he brags about me. He, he brags about how humble my husband is, which I love that. <laughs> he brags about my husband's humility. It's who he is and it's beautiful and I love it and it's taught me so much. So just have a little Mario. Beautiful. When you need a Mario, have a little Mario. We'll take it. Christina, what is your astrological sign? I'm a Libra, which is Ugh. 
Also, what Kareem is. What are you guys? I'm a Scorpio. And Ooh. I'm an Aquarius. Ooh, our DP is an Aquarius. And some of my very best friends are Scorpios. They're Ooh. the best, but they'll, they'll get you. Yeah. <laughs> if you cross them. I know. Uh, watch out, everybody. <laughs> I don't know. Hannah's way more into astrology than I am, but I find that I'm like, well, yeah, I guess this is true. And I guess that's true, too. It's fun. I was just cooking with this spatula that my friend Alex, who produced the film, gave me. And it says artistic, expressive, charismatic. And then the last one is gentle. The last description of my astrological. And I'm just not gentle. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what is this spatula? Why is this spatula telling you about your personality? We buy each other like kitschy astrological stuff now. Okay, cute. We have constant source of presence because it's so in right now. You can buy astrological stuff everywhere yeah I don't know if it's because I've been in LA for too long that I'm starting to like really believe in everything or just I don't know maybe it's time (laughs) maybe it's time maybe it's the stars are aligning aligning. (laughs) I'm kind of a cynic and kind of a believer but I think it's really fun if nothing else it's like any mechanism that can make you thoughtful about how you interact with the world and other people is probably a good thing yeah 100 percent Going back to Walter for a second, yeah. <laughs> would you be willing to share a couple of your favorite moments with him? For sure, yeah. Walter is so wonderful. I think what I didn't know about Walter before we started the film was he has a great sense of humor. He really did. It shined. Oh, there yeah. were a couple moments where he got that last word in and it was brilliant. Oh my God, yeah. Like when Kareem asks him if he's a virgin and he squares to the camera and he goes, the only one in town. You're oh like, my oh my God, you're perfect. This is You're so good at this game. Yes. He is so cute and so funny. And I don't really think that was showed on television every day when we were little yeah but he knew that the three of us loved to laugh and so he would perform for us or do things to make us crack up a lot (laughs) he had a little flirtatious way about him and I remember one thing that he never would let go was I think it was our first shoot I bumped into something by the way it is a, a miracle that more things were not broken on that set because every single part of his house was crammed with some little tchotchke that's made of porcelain so I bumped into a Grecian vase his anfora I bumped into his anfora and I broke it and it was oh my gosh it was a big thing it was like everyone in the house was told about it and it was symbolic of a lot of things and they're like it is the bad energy leaving the house and I was so embarrassed and felt so bad on the first trip meeting your icon it's like can you imagine breaking santa claus's cookie jar or something like that it's like you know i was like destroying santa claus's house that's how it kind of how it felt and so i bought him a new grecian vase and had it sent from athens and he was very happy but he knew that i had complex feelings about it and so every time he was annoyed at us even a little annoyed if we were pushing him or something like that he would go oh where was this vase that I used to love so much? <laughs> you know, it's like a beautiful woman came and broke it. It was so sad. But he would just, he would troll me in a certain way. And, oh my God. Uh, and it was always to get a reaction and it always worked. Oh, God. He liked teasing in a nice way. Always a love. I loved that. He would just 
try to make us laugh all the time. Anything he could do to play with us or tease us was, uh, he was really good at it. He was lovely and he definitely, he loved performing or he loved being with people. He loved being exuberant around people. And I remember at one point we were asking the nieces, we need to see the real Walter. We've been with you guys for so long now and he never turns off. He never stops voguing to camera. And they thought about it for a few days and they were like, you know, I think you should understand that that is the real Walter. We've grown up with him. He's Vogue's through the house. <laughs> oh, they told us one story that I love, which is that he was meeting his five-week-old grandniece who had just been born, Anna Sophia, I think her name is, and they brought her to the house, and Walter wouldn't let her in the room until he had put on his full face of makeup and his full hair he was like no she can't meet me this five-week-old baby can't meet me until I am in my true form and you know nobody was filming but he needed to make sure that this baby remembered him the way he felt inside which is so Walter yeah, yeah <laughs> so wow. funny and so beautiful yeah so cute so one thing I did ask Kareem about was the documentary is very positive and it really does feel like the themes are we need to cherish and appreciate the bright lights in our life while they exist. Mm -hmm. But I was wondering, Sherilyn and I have talked about this a number of times, how when a person, especially from an oppressed group in society, when they have a position to have an audience, we as audience members sometimes put a lot of pressure on them to behave or act in a certain way or mm -hmm. to respond to certain political issues or to show up for certain political issues. Yeah. And I noticed that the documentary did not focus on those moments for Walter, even though I'm sure that they existed. I would love to hear your thoughts on why that was not the focus of this documentary? That's a great question. I think, um, you know, Walter was a great advocate for the immigrant community. I would say that. I would say he did speak on behalf of Latinos. He was a defender of immigrants, Latinos, the poor. He would weigh in on those issues. The thing that he didn't really love speaking about was the LGBT community and his membership in it. He did not like labels. He did not like being defined as a member of the LGBT community. And I think that is hard for a lot of people, including me, including Kareem. I think, you know, we love Walter deeply, but we feel that visibility is really important. And having somebody say, I am gay, I am queer, I am gender nonconforming is important. And he didn't want to come out in that way. And so, you know, we wanted to, in the movie, talk about that complexity and let him define himself. We have complicated feelings about it. But certainly the time that he came up during was not one in which he probably could have had his career if he was openly out. You know, a lot of people lost their jobs for saying I'm gay, I'm queer. And still, Latino culture is incredibly homophobic and incredibly transphobic. I remember while we were there shooting, there was a trap artist who is trans who was murdered. Oh, yeah, um, I remember that. That was the day we were shooting. And actually, he really resembled a young Walter. Mm. They resembled a young Walter. I don't know their pronouns. But it's very, very complicated. I think coming at it from a 2020 perspective, it's very easy to say what you would have done or what we should do in those situations. But Walter came up during a time when he didn't feel like he could 
be, I think, openly himself. And, and maybe if he was from a different generation, he would have taken a different stance. But as Carlo in the film says, at a certain point, it is beyond coming out in a way. He provided for a lot of people another version of Latino masculinity or how you could be a different version of a person. And I think that space was inspirational for a lot of people, including Kareem. You know, Kareem would say the way that his family loved Walter, he thought constantly about if they could love this person who is so different, maybe they could also love me. Mm. Not all of our heroes are perfect. And I think you have to take the great stuff with the not so great stuff. And, you know, there's other stuff that Walter did that's very not great. You know, the 1-800 numbers, taking money from people who were in very desperate situations, not great. But but I think a lot of our heroes are complex and we need to understand also that Walter was benefiting from his whiteness. That's another issue that we also wished we could have addressed more like, you know, the Santeria, spiritualism, these things brought to these cultures largely by Black women. He was able to take up the space of sharing them with more people because of his whiteness in large part, because of a culture that celebrates white Latinos. There are a lot of things about Walter that aren't perfect, but I think we wanted to celebrate the strides that he did make, the bravery that it took to show up on television every day and appear so radically different than the average Latino man. It's very inspirational, but I think we can learn from these things that not everything is perfect. Not everybody who you love is going to be the wokest person in your life. And I think our grandparents are probably like that. We love them. They intend well, but oftentimes there's a lot of gray areas, hard conversations that we have to have. I think everybody's grandparents are problematic. (laughs) No one's grandparents are not problematic unless, you know, your grandparents are Martin Luther King or no, even he's been problematic. Yeah. And I think it's a matter of just being able to, see things as complicated and, and being able to hold two truths in your mind at once, that you can love somebody and you can also criticize them at the same time or have complicated feelings about how they landed on certain issues. And so I love, love, love Walter. And I also don't think Walter was perfect. Yeah, I think that's a great lesson. It is good to recognize that we cannot expect perfection from others. We yeah. can just expect them to do their best from where they're at right now and do our part to protect ourselves and hopefully help our communities become more uplifted and move in a positive direction together. Yeah, 100%. Totally agree. You mentioned you're pretty busy right now. Can you say a little bit of what you're working on, what kind of project it is maybe? Most of the stuff I'm not allowed to talk about yet, but I would say that everything that I'm doing, I want to center immigrant stories, Latino stories. Uh, I think there are not enough Latino filmmakers right now, not enough Latino stories being told, not enough Latino executives. And so I'm really hoping to kind of add a complexity to the depiction of this Latino, Latinx story in the American subconscious. I think Walter is the perfect example of, you know, we are more than narcos and we're more than the immigration story, although that's incredibly important. And so I think some of us are genderqueer astrologers who are bedazzled. And I think adding (laughs) complexity, I think, humanizes our stories. And we're not monolithic in any way. The community is so diverse, so varied. And so I just think there's so much space to tell stories and address some of the issues that are really important to our communities. I, I hope that 
answers your question. Yeah. But there's just <laughs> so much to do. There's so much work to be done. And it's an exciting time to be a Latino filmmaker, a Latina filmmaker, particularly. I think that we need more. We need more people to come tell these stories because there are so many. Yeah. Working on it. Yeah. <laughs> exciting yeah we need more latino execs too this project is a great example we went into a lot of rooms with this project and a lot of people just didn't quite get it they were like this walter figure seems wonderful um (laughs) but could you provide us viewership numbers from all latin america in the 80s and 90s to prove that he was a big deal and it was like i can't that is so hurtful I know it's remarkable (laughs) but you get down to a point where there's a finance department who's having conversations with the people who believe in your project and they're just numbers people I doubt Mr. Rogers projects had to have these conversations but you know they just want data and there's something like this some of the most important stories really where you're not going to be able to show you the google search trends or the instagram followers to prove to you this is a, a story that needs to be told But if you have a Latino executive who can tell you from personal experience, I know the cultural impact that this will have or could have, then you'll know to greenlight it. And so we had a lot of trouble raising money. We thought it was going to come much more easily. And the two places that gave us offers in the end, when the film was almost finished, were places that had Latino executives in the room who are like, yes, this person means so much to so many people. I I think we need more Latino filmmakers and we also need more at every level. So Yeah. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I have a more technical question. So you come from this investigative journalist background, but you also are a director. That means you have to know everything as far as production goes. If you have a small crew, you're going to be the sound person. You might be B-cam. You might even be A-cam. I'm a very bad A-cam, but I could do it if I had to. Yeah, that's... Very bad. And then also on top of that, you have to have a creative vision and ask questions from behind the camera. There's just a lot going on in pre-production, production, and post. With Mucho Mucho Amor, how did you get to the pitching side? You mentioned it was hard to get funding. Like, did you guys film first? And were you self-funded for a bit? And also, I don't know how much you're allowed to talk about that, but... Initially, we had a very small grant, $10,000, from a small group in Miami called Artes Miami. $10,000. And we went to... Puerto Rico and shot a little bit for a few days and then came back and edited with that $10,000. And with that little bit of tape, we were able to get a little bit more money. And with that little bit of money, we got a little bit more money. And then we got a grant. Total, it was, I would say, a seventh of the budget that you would have needed to make that movie. Mm-hmm. Wow. And we really, really stretched it. And, you know, Kareem, Alex, and I, it's not our first project. Science Fair had won the Festival Favorite Award at Sundance. It had then won at South By. It had won audience awards at almost all the festivals we had been to. And Your so, first feature film. You must have been on I, I was another level. So excited. But I mentioned this because I think, to me, I was like, well, now I've proven that I can make something. Now the money will come. And I think, if anything, this taught me that it's never going to be that easy. It's never going to be you walk into a room and someone's like, you got it. It's always going to be scrapping, which I'm fine with. Child of immigrants, that's what we do. None of us got paid until we sold the film. Wow. Some of us were dipping into our savings. Other, 
of us were taking on two gigs. I was making another feature at the same time to try to pay myself so that I could be making mucho, mucho amor. And we got it done. When we finally really ran out of money, that's but when we had to go to Netflix and go to really take it out in a real way and pre-sell. So the way that it works is like you could either raise the money and sell it at a film festival or you could pre-sell it before a film festival. So we started having to have conversations about pre-selling it, even though that wasn't our goal, but it was really that we couldn't raise the money. And we had two choices, which was either make it for as cheap as you can or wait and raise money. And because of Walter's health, we were just like, well, we're going to have to do it the scrappy way and so everybody was doing two or three jobs and like you said I our DP Pete Alton is a godsend he run, runs sound monitors sound and camera and Joey Dowd whose second camera also ran sound, like gaffers they were doing every job technical jobs but also I have to know how to mic people and how to make sure that everything is working because everyone has to be doing more than one thing so very small crew is very much building the runways. The plane was taking off, but we got it done. So that's all that matters. And it looks like an expensive film. Ooh, and I know you. that that's because Walter is glamorous and like, obviously, how could it not look <laughs> glamorous? But the lighting, the animation, oh, it really was beautiful. Every touch was chef's kiss. Thank you. <laughs> well, there's a great production rental house in Puerto Rico in Bayamon called PJ Gaffers and I love those guys so much I think I've heard of them shout out to PJ Gaffers (laughs) shout out to PJ they gave us so many good deals also the Airbnb owner like everybody on the island who we could tell this is a documentary about Walter Mercado is there any way we don't have any money can you shave the cost Everyone would be like, oh, for Walter? Yeah. Everyone, everyone, everyone would shave some costs off because it's for Walter. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Did you all stay together in a house in San Juan? That also saved our budget, like, incredibly. There was there were these two sisters who were big Walter fans who let us stay. It was a five-bedroom apartment really close to Louisa, and it was beautiful. And they gave us a mega discount, and they were wonderful. And we'd stay there every time. And I can't tell you how many thousands and thousands of dollars that saved our budget so the wow. kindness of the puerto rican people mixed with a lot of scrappiness is how the movie got me we're known to be kind people <laughs> yeah, so nice. see it goes to show that the director of a beautiful netflix feature film is also talking to the locals trying to get a deal on airbnb when you come from docs i think you just know where you can save Hotels is a huge one. If you're working on like a branded gig, everyone gets their own hotel. It's $300 a night, but yeah. I do a doc on a shoestring budget. You can sleep five people for that much if you find the perfect Airbnb. You also want to treat your crew well. It's a it's a hard game. Yeah. It's a lot of plates to keep spinning. It really is. But we're so grateful to the team that made it and to yeah. everybody who helped us. We are too. Yeah, <laughs> it was a delight. And in 2020, well, it was a good you. time for this film. For sure. We all needed it. Perfect. This has been inspiring, this talk. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you guys are doing incredible work. I told you, Cheryl, I've heard of your film from a lot of Puerto Rican filmmakers. Which is crazy. (laughs) It's a small, small world. I know. It's a very small world. Small community. But yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much. I'm glad the stars aligned and we ran into each other at a coffee shop. (laughs) Oh, shout out to Bloom and Plume. (laughs) Yeah, Bloom and Plume Coffee. Bringing filmmakers together since who knows when. A couple years, a couple years.
let's stay in touch <laughs> and yeah. how could people follow your work my instagram is and my twitter is xtina teeny and then mucho more movie is our instagram handle follow us watch it talk about it with your friends if we want more latino stories to be told we gotta watch them and thank you guys so much for having me what fun yeah it was a pleasure sincerely <laughs> thank you guys we'll talk soon talk soon bye chris bye <laughs> I'm gonna start snapping, I think. Okay. Just if you wanna snap too, that would be cool. <laughs> Is that good? I think that'll be fine. I can clap. Either way. Nice, that one will definitely be found. And then my wrist snapped right after, so. <laughs> you got a snap, a clap, and a crack. <laughs> a Rice Krispies. Okay. Welcome back, everyone. Sherilyn. How'd you enjoy those interviews? Oh, what a treat. (laughs) It was so nice. It was really nice to talk to Christina and hear about her experience in the field and in just documentary in general, as well as Kareem separately. Separate but equal. Ew, I'm sorry I said that. (laughs) Yeah, I thought Kareem had some beautiful, wonderful insights on the making of the film. I loved hearing him talk about how even though, I mean, Christina talked about this too, how Walter was an imperfect hero. So even though we didn't fully dive into that, that's not really what this show was about. They wanted to do it intentionally and because they didn't have the time or the space to dive into those things, they didn't want to tarnish all the good that he's done in Mm -hmm. his career, which I, I appreciated that perspective we highlighted the positivity and that's what we need right now that's what i need yeah highlighting the positivity that's what the world needs yes absolutely let's just focus on that everybody yeah okay (laughs) and i agree christina was extremely inspiring to listen to i loved that we had more time with her first of all because we only had literally 30 minutes to talk with Kareem but I think we technically had 25 minutes oh I think you're right but anyways with Christina we did not have a time limit and so it was truly a treat to be able to dive into her personal story a little bit and I have definitely benefited from having the little Argentinian man with me since that conversation I I will say same I think I have too so thanks Christina's dad also everyone I immediately went out and watched science fair and it was completely worth it oh yeah I watched it too and oof another feel-good film so feel-good another good documentary that's just bringing us hope Yes, all of these characters that are just inspirational and larger than life. She did a great job of finding what made each of these individuals so sparkly and funny and interesting. Yeah, so I think that if you haven't already seen Mucho Mucho Amor, even though we talked about it so much, definitely go watch it. There aren't really spoilers in a documentary you know if you don't know anything about him great if you do great just go watch it if you want to feel good i agree one last thing i i will say just as a final thought 
since this is what the section is. Yeah. I love that they were both so interested as filmmakers in collaboration because I feel like the world that I come from in narrative filmmaking, it's very much these young filmmakers who are trying to be auteurs. And I don't think that that's my personal mentality when it comes to actual filmmaking Mm -hmm. and it was just really wonderful to see that that collaboration does exist successfully in the world yeah collaboration and community yay what we all need in and out of filmmaking at the present moment agreed so what do you rate this and how do you rate this oh my goodness i would rate this in gemstones <laughs> crystals crystals ooh all right magical crystals i would give this i don't know we should use rose quartz because those are the love crystal i don't know something about ooh, right? okay that's what i would do i would give it one rose quartz crystal mm-hmm. for all the self-love and all the feel-good beauty and i would give it There was this one blue one. It's supposed to be like opening creativity and it symbolizes your throat chakra. Okay. I give it one of those for sure. Okay, so Hannah rates Mucho Mucho Amor one rose quartz crystal and one blue throat opening chakra crystal. Yes. And I'm going to have to say same (laughs) Z's. Maybe even two rose quartz crystals. Aw, yeah. let's, Let's throw in an extra rose quartz. Why not? Yeah. And you only really need one. So that's how good it was. If you have one near your heart, you're good. If you have two, all the better. One to share. And that's what we want to do. Yeah. We're trying to share this. Two pinks, (laughs) one blue. Crystal. And that's a wrap on our show today. Let us know. What are your thoughts? Feel free to follow us on Instagram. It's named after the podcast. And follow us on Twitter at Live Film Society. Tell us what your signs are. We want to (laughs) know. Mucho, mucho amor, everyone. Bye. Besos y abrazos.